Um, Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 28. Last week was Father's Day. We had great hospitality at the grill out. You guys ate up all the hamburgers, all the hot dogs. We didn't have any food left. But um, we did look at Isaac. He is the extraordinary son of an, I'm sorry, he's the ordinary son of an extraordinary father and the ordinary father of an extraordinary son. That extraordinary son is Jacob. And last time that we spoke about him was two weeks ago in Genesis chapter 27. He was unprompted by his mother, Rebecca, and he had deceived his father, Isaac, and stolen his brother Esau's blessing on top of the birthright that he'd already taken from him. And so because of being taken advantage of twice, Esau decided that he wanted to kill his brother and go the way of Cain. And so Rebecca says in Genesis chapter 27, now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with them for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Isaac goes on to confirm by saying, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And so this is where our passage begins this morning. In Genesis 28, we're going to begin in verse 10. Jacob is alone. He's on the run. He's being hunted by his brother. And I don't know where you are this afternoon, but I know that we've all had low points in our lives. We've all had broken relationships. We've all lost jobs. Some of us have lost careers. We've all gotten bad news about our health or about someone that we love, their health. We've all got hurting family members. Sometimes we can feel lost. We can feel alone. We can feel that no one seems to understand and that no one seems to care. Psalm 34 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And for Jacob, it's during this low point in his life that he meets God. This is one of God's defining features. He Um, comes to rebellious people to be with them and to save them. And and in fact, when God becomes a man in Jesus Christ, he comes to seek and to save the lost or the rebellious. And our passage this afternoon gives us a picture of how heaven comes down to earth and how God comes to meet a broken man. Please pray with me before we read. Our great and heavenly King, our Father, God, you are holy, you're righteous, blameless, and pure. You're perfect, and you're full of power, full of love, full of wisdom. Who knows more than you? Who's bigger than you? Who's more powerful or stronger than you? God, no one. You reign supreme. You sit on your throne, and you're sovereign as our God. We thank you so much for caring for us, men, women, made of dust, clay, earth, ashes, and some water. God, you look down from heaven upon us, and and you love us, you care for us in a way that we would never understand. And God, even when we're down and out, even when we're brokenhearted and on the run, Father, that's when you come to meet us. That's when you invite us to be in your presence. And God, I pray that during those times in our lives, we would listen to your voice and listen to your call. 
We do want to offer up a prayer for our brothers and sisters that are going to India this evening. We pray that they would be safe. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would open doors for the gospel message to spread amongst those 1.3 billion people in India. We pray that they would be hard workers and that they would be bold in proclaiming the message of your son, Jesus Christ. God, let their trip be effective and life changing. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 28. Dive in with me in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Title of the lesson this morning is, I am with you. I am with you. I've got this picture of, um, have you ever done this when you were a child? You get some yarn or some string and you kind of make the Jacob's, Jacob's ladder. That's what that's called, okay? That's why I've got that up there. Teens. Have you guys ever done the teens? They're like, what in the world? Jamisa's done it. All right, Jamisa's done it before. All right, so we, we got one. Two simple points this morning. One, God's promise. Two, Jacob's promise. God's promise and Jacob's promise. Jacob has just deceived his father. He's just stolen his brother's blessing. And as he's on the run, I ask myself, does he feel guilty about what he's done? He's on the low, on the run. He's uh, being hunted by his brother. And if you notice, he doesn't even take one of the many servants with him. Abraham's uh, family and Isaac's family, they probably had a thousand servants that were there. Shepherds and everything else that were running this incredibly huge operation that Abraham had. When Abraham's servant went to go find Isaac, a wife, he took servants with him. When uh, Rebekah came back, Laban gave her servants to be with her. Normally you would travel with servants and it just doesn't make sense that here Jacob is. He's a part of one of the wealthiest families in the area at the time and he's going on this long journey. He doesn't even take a servant. 
It doesn't even seem like he has possessions because he prays and he says, well, Lord, if you'll give me food, if you'll give me clothing, I mean, shouldn't he have brought like 20 camels with him, loaded up with food and clothing and everything else? It seems like the trip was so hasty that he said, I just need to get on my camel and go. My brother is on my heels. And so he leaves. He leaves quickly. No servant, no food, the clothes on his back. And he goes and he comes to Bethel. What was he feeling and thinking about that night? Was he worrying perhaps about his aging father, Isaac? Could be. Was he remembering perhaps waving to his mother for the last time? Because that probably was the last time he would ever see his mother. Was he hoping that Esau would not hunt him down and kill him? Probably. So as Jacob travels, he stops in Bethel where his grandfather Abraham had set up an altar many years ago and he doesn't even go into the city. I mean, that was like a part of Middle Eastern hospitality. If you're traveling and you come upon a village, you go into the village and someone welcomes you into their home. It was customary. It was obliged that they would protect you, that they would feed you, that they would give you a place to sleep. He didn't have to sleep out under the stars with his head on a rock. He wasn't forced to do that. But he chooses to stay outside of the city. Why? My guess is that he knew that his brother was looking for him. And perhaps if I go into the city, people will know where I'm at. And then my brother's going to find me. That's just my guess. Regardless, though, he goes to sleep that night. He finds a nice, soft and comfy rock and puts his head on it. And he goes to sleep and he has a dream. You know, when we're empty when we're lonely, when we're running away from God, that is when God loves to intervene and meet with us. Think about Hagar when she was running away from Sarah. She's met by God in the desert. Think about Elijah when he runs from Jezebel. He lays down under a bush. He prays, God, let me just die. And the angel comes to him and says, what are you doing here? Jonah running from God on his way to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. And God finds him in the belly of a fish. The Apostle Paul killing Christians on his way to Damascus. And what happens? Jesus confronts him and blinds him on the road. God loves to meet us when we're at our worst. I can think of at least twice God has found me while I've tried to run away from him. Once was uh, six months after I'd become a Christian, I'd made a decision. I'm not going to follow this Jesus character anymore. And I'm for sure not going to be part of this crazy church. That's for sure. And I thought being a Christian is just too hard. I went home that night and I said, but I, you know what? I can't leave unless I've got some scriptures because they're always talking about these crazy scriptures. And they're always going to ask me, well, where's it say in the Bible that you can leave? And da, da, da. I said, that's fine. That's fine. I'll stay up all night. And I will find my reason in this Bible. And God found me at that time. I got done at three in the morning and I was convinced that I should stay because I read the Bible so much that night. The second time was roughly 2003, 2004, right around that crisis time. We had been in the full time ministry for five, some odd six. I can't remember years or so, but I was ready to leave not the church this time, but I was ready to step out of the ministry. I was done. I knew I had blown it. I had done so much just bad stuff. And I felt like God is no longer with me. 
But God met me at that lowest point, really through Leslie. And Leslie, I don't think she meant to rebuke me, but she asked me some tough questions that to me I interpreted as a rebuke. (laughs) And that turned me around. That turned me around. It seems like, to me, relatively few people meet God on a Sunday morning. We're much more likely to meet God on Monday when we're on our bed of affliction or when we lose our job or when our children are sick or when our friends betray us or when our marriage collapses. That's when we meet God. We're much more likely to meet God, not during church, but after church, when we're driving home and we get in the car accident. That's when we meet God. There was a a couple in uh, Potomac Valley just this weekend they were they took their boat from Virginia. They were cruising down to the Bahamas. This has been on on Fox News, I believe. They were about an hour from shore and their boat started to take on water. The boat sank, went to the bottom of the ocean and the, the brother and his um, one or two children. I think there's someone else on the boat. They were literally like floating in the ocean before a boat came and rescued them. They're safe, by the way. This is the um, the S mockers, if you know them, in, in Northern Virginia. That's when you meet God, right? That's when you meet God. Lord, help me, save me. You're much more likely to meet Him in the hospital than you are in the sanctuary. And it's not because God is not here; He's here. But many times it's because we just won't listen. It takes tragedy, it takes failure, it takes financial setback, it takes heartache, it takes illness, it takes the collapse of our dreams around us before we will eventually look up and say, surely the Lord is in this place like Jacob did. Teens, this is not where you will meet God. You will not meet God in the cropped, filtered, doctored, Images of Instagram. You will meet God in the embarrassment of a school bus. You will meet God in the loneliness of a cafeteria. That's where you'll find him. Maybe he's met you in a circumstance like this. This is where Jacob was at the time. He goes to sleep. He has a dream. He sees, a, the Bible says, a stairway. It could also be interpreted as ladder. But this stairway it touches the earth and it goes up to heaven and there's angels ascending and descending. Climbing up, walking down. How does that look? I mean, I thought angels had wings, right? Do they actually need to like climb? I don't know, but they were ascending and descending on this ladder or stairway. What exactly was that? I mean, was it was it like the the image that I've got here? No, it it wasn't like that. Some say that it could have been. Uh, you can advance my slide, by the way. I'm sorry. Point number one is God's promise. Some say that this could have been an ancient um, ziggurat, which was we, we talked about this when we talked about the Tower of Babel, um, an ancient temple that they would build. Um, in, in, in the ancient Near East that was supposed to be so high that it would reach to the heavens and it was a, a staircased kind of a temple. It could have been one of those. We don't know. 
The point is, though, is that when we're most in need of God, that's when heaven comes down to earth. What were these angels doing? Perhaps they were taking messages from earth up to God. Maybe they they were the prayers of of man going up and down to God again. I, I don't know. But in this dream, God gives some grand promises to Jacob. Look at what he says in chapter 28, verse 13. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So God gives Jacob these promises again at the lowest point of his life. And these promises address some of his deepest fears. I'm going to give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He was leaving the promised land. He wasn't supposed to leave the promised land. But here God is saying, you know what? This very land that you've got your head on this rock, you will inherit this land one day. He says that I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. He didn't have any descendants at that point. And I'm sure he probably thought, am I, am I going to have any descendants? I don't even have a wife yet. But God addresses that too and tells him that he'll have numerous and abundant descendants. He says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is the same promise that Abraham received. But then he gives a promise that, that, that's specific to Jacob. Verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Wouldn't that have been comforting to him all alone on the run? We don't have any record up to this point that Jacob even worshiped God. But here comes God speaking to him and telling him, I'm going to be with you. It's going to be okay. I know your brother's hunting you down, but I'm going to protect you. He says, I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. Until I have done what I have promised you. And so Jacob was the first person in the Bible to hear this assurance. I am with you. It was a promise that God later repeated to Moses. He repeated it to Joshua, to Gideon. He repeated it in Isaiah chapter seven, talking about Jesus, saying that the the, the child will be born of a virgin. He will be named what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this probably would have given Jacob great comfort since he's all alone, probably for the first time. He probably had a fear of the future, but God tells him, you know what? I'm going to be with you wherever you go into the future. I'm going to be there. It's interesting that God doesn't rebuke Jacob for the way that he treated his father, for the way that he treated his brother. It seems like that 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 stairway to heaven, God would have been at top and said, hey, yo, Jacob, what in the world is wrong with you, dude? Serves you right. You need to be putting your head on a rock. I'm going to turn my back on you treating Isaac that way. Don't you know who Isaac is? God didn't say anything like that. God was incredibly gracious and loving towards Jacob. I think many times we often think that God is upset with us, but the truth is that he loves us and he wants to speak words of encouragement and he wants to speak words of grace to us. 
And he speaks all of these promises to of all people, Jacob. I mean, what has he done? He he steals really, really good. You know, he, he, he rips off his old blind father and takes advantage of him. Right. Like I said, he's never even worshiped. We have no record of him even worshiping God up to this point. He he used God's name in vain. He blasphemed God. Right. He, he, he mixed God in with his lie, saying that God was the reason why he was able to get the stew that really his mother cooked on and on and on and on and on. He's the last guy that you or I would choose to go out and bless and speak in this way too. But why does he choose Jacob? I think we got to ask, well, why does he choose us? You know, why does he choose us when we've disgraced ourselves? Why does he choose us when we've hit rock bottom? It's because of his grace. It's because he's good. It's because he cares. It's because he wants to be with us. And he wants those blessings to be passed on to other people. Amen? Amen. Point number two, Jacob's promise. Jacob wakes up from his dream. And can you imagine what it must have been like to have a dream like that? Think back to the last. Have you ever had those dreams before where you wake up and you're like, was that was that real? Was I dreaming? You know what I mean? Like there's some of those dreams where you're having like a really good time in the dream. Like, I don't know what you might be watching a movie. You might be having some fun. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh, man, I can't believe it. So many times that's happened to me. Or sometimes like you can't tell the difference between reality and the dream, like the emotions that you feel in the dream carry through into like real life. I was telling Brooke the um, the other morning I'd had this dream, nothing, nothing against my family, but I had this dream that we were running late. And for me, I do not like to run late. And so. We were in the house and I was trying to get them together and all the while I was just getting frustrated and more and more frustrated in the dream, getting frustrated. I woke up in the morning and I was so mad. I was so mad and I was thinking, they're always late. Everything, I was just about to get up out of my bed and go knock on the kids' doors and tell them. And I was like, but that was a dream. That was, it's okay, it's okay. Has that ever happened to you before where a dream was so real? I, I think that that's what ha- was happening to Jacob because he starts to talk crazy. Verse 16, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? This can be none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. God is, is, is not like in just one place. I mean, God is everywhere. This reminds me of, of, of Peter, you know, when Jesus was transfigured right there on top of the, of, the, of the mountain of transfiguration and Moses and Elijah and Jesus are up there. And Peter, he's in, I don't know, a dream state. And Peter's like, well, oh, let, let's go build you some shelters. It's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I don't need no shelter. You know what I mean? But that's what Peter was thinking. And it seems to be what Jacob was thinking here is like, God is in this place. What do you mean? Psalm 137 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wing of the dawns, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness 
will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. The truth is God is everywhere. He rules over all creation. There is no place where God is not. He is every place at once. Now, I have some favorite prayer spots, but that does not mean that I worship the spot itself. And that's what Jacob was doing here. He's just kind of thinking crazy. And so he decides to commemorate and mark the spot by setting up the rock as a pillar and consecrate it by pouring oil on it. He responds to God with his own promise. The Bible says a vow. I'm not going to get into vows and what they mean and everything else. But suffice it to say, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Okay. He says anything beyond this is from the evil one. But he does say in this vow, he says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear on and on and on. He begins with this word if. So scholars are are kind of torn. There are some who feel like, well, see, this shows how faithless Jacob was because he's kind of bargaining with God. God, if you do this, if you hold up your part of your promise, then I will on and on and on. But there is another way to translate this, which is since, since God, you're going to do this. Therefore, I am going to do that. And in that case, then it would be a statement of faith. For me, I think that Jacob was quite faithless, honestly. Here's why I think that way. Look at what he says in comparison to what God says. God gives him this huge, great promise, right? I'm going to give you all the land that you're lying on. Your descendants are going to be numerous, like dust of the earth, right? I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring you back to this land. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Huge promise. Jacob says, well, if you're going to be with me, if you're going to watch over me, if you'll give me some food to eat and clothes to wear. Like, dude, I'm giving you like all this land. All nations on earth are going to be blessed through you. Why are you asking me for food and clothing? Well, if you return me, save me to my, to my father's household, then I'm going to set up this stone as a pillar. This is going to be your house. That's what he says. Look at it. Verse 22. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. Since when does God want to live in a rock? This is, in my opinion, small thinking on the part of Jacob. And then lastly, he says, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, you might think, well, wow, I mean, he's so sacrificial and like this is one of the first instances of tithing in the Bible. And this is why we need to sacrifice and give a tenth. I think a tenth, is that all? In comparison to all of this that God just promised you, you're going to tell God that he can live in a rock and then you're going to give him a tenth? Like, really? I think his thinking was small. I think his thinking was faithless. I was convicted as I read this because I thought, you know what? My prayers are small in comparison to God's promises for me. 
God says he's given me everything that I need for life and godliness. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, Lord, please just give me strength. (laughs) Just help me get out of the bed, God. (laughs) Like so small in comparison to what God has promised. Do you see what I'm saying here? So I was so challenged in my own faith. I think that our faith has to be much greater. I think that we have to look at God's promises and we have to take him at his word. I think that Jacob should have heard all that God had said and went on and said, Amen, God, you are awesome. You're incredible. Let me get on my donkey. I know you're going to find me a wife. I'm going to get the hookup. I'm going to come back. All nations are going to be blessed. This is going to be incredible. He should have had tremendous confidence coming from this promise. And he did have some confidence. I just think it should have been a whole lot more. Now, mind you, though, that for all the years of Jacob's life, God had never spoken directly to him. He spoke directly to Abraham. He spoke directly to Isaac, but not to Jacob. And for his whole life, he had lived on the borrowed faith of his father and his grandfather. He was raised in their faith, taught in their faith. He knew their faith, probably even believed in their faith. But he had never had a personal experience with God himself. And so to Jacob, it was a secondhand reality. And this was his first interaction. But I think what's cool about this is that God took him where he was. The little bit of faith that he did have. Okay, a tenth, that's not much, but it's a tenth. You know, it's better than nothing. And it seems like God said, amen, I can roll with that. You think I'm going to live in in a rock? All right, we can start there. So I think that can be some encouragement for us. Regardless of where our level of faith is, God is willing to take you where you're at. And he's willing to work with you. He's willing to help to boost and to build up your faith until it is strong. But I have to ask myself and I ask all of us the question this morning, what are we promising God? God has promised Jacob something incredible. God has promised us things that are incredible, eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. And what is our promise to God? Lord, I'm going to try to be on time to church. Is that our promise? You know, Lord, I'm going to try to read, you know, John 3:16 this upcoming Wednesday. Is that our promise? Or is our promise something greater? Is our promise something that is more commensurate or matching of God's promises? Towards us, How big is our faith? Later in John chapter 1, uh, verse 47, you can turn there with me really quick. Gospel of John. Chapter 1. This is as um, Jesus is speaking to Nathanael. And in verse 47, it says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. 
You can advance my next slide. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Look at that. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder, not on a bridge, but on the son of man. Jacob's whole experience was about this dream of a ladder, a stairway to heaven. That's a famous song, a bridge from heaven to earth or God being with man. Jesus says that he is our ladder. He is our bridge. He is our access to eternity. He is how God is connected to man. And he is not a stairway. He is the stairway. He says in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the father except through me. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes and says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, not two, not three, not 50 or 50,000. The religions of man teach that we must Elevate, try harder, jump higher in order to rise up to God. And and if you're strong enough, if you're spiritual enough, if you're good enough, if you're nice enough, then one day, one day, those scales will tip in your favor. And God will bless you if you're just good enough. But the message of the Bible is that God comes down to man. And therefore, if we want to have a relationship with him, we must come to him on his terms. Not our terms. And that means going through Jesus Christ. If you have not already, you can start today. Stop trusting in yourself and your attempts at being good. Sit down. Open the Bible with one of the brothers and sisters. Learn to trust in the perfect bridge of Jesus Christ. God promises to be with us. He meets us at our worst and he meets us where we are. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the security of God's presence and his promise to be with us should bring about a response of worship, of sacrifice and of confidence. May our prayers match his promises as we promise to make him our God and sacrifice with all that we have. Amen.